If you would grab a Bible with me and turn to Psalm 27. Psalm 27. That's where we'll be spending our time this morning. I appreciate Carter leading that song for us uh, because it is a great introduction and, well, it uses a lot of the same words as the psalm we're going to study tonight. Or the tonight. It's not tonight yet. This morning, uh, Psalm 27, uh, which is going to be our text for, uh, for this part of our worship. And I appreciate him leading that and kind of getting our thoughts working in that direction. It's kind of fun sometimes when there are songs that are taken directly from the psalms I enjoy looking at the psalm while we sing, and so I was showing Noah where, because of course I kind of planned this, I kind of knew what was going on, um, where this song that we just sang comes almost verbatim, all the ideas from Psalm 27, and I always enjoy that because these are songs, this song, the book of Psalms is Israel's song book, and uh, so as we sing those, we're sort of joining in uh, that long history of singing the psalms of Israel. So I appreciate Carter for doing that for us this morning. Psalm 27, beginning in verse 1. Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. David's psalms inspire us because they talk about a relationship with God that we are trying to have. And he speaks so eloquently that we say, you know what, I wish I could sing like that and write like that about my relationship with God. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation and my stronghold. I'm not afraid because I know the Lord is with me. And so when we read texts like this, we we see the power behind them. And from time to time, I get requests. Different ones of you will ask me, can you talk about this? Or can you preach from this text or about this topic? And I received a request to preach from Psalm 27. And as I worked through the psalm, it just jumps off the page. It's just a treasure. It's an incredible psalm. And so I felt like I had to talk about it and try to talk about it in a way that did it justice. And I'm not sure I can do that. But the way the psalm is structured, verse 4, I believe, is the key. It's sort of the centerpiece around which everything works. In verse 4, he says, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So in, in spite of the fact that David has all these enemies assailing him and he's in trouble, he says, this is my one request. And I want to think about it that way for a few minutes this morning. Just one request. There's one thing I want. And sometimes when people say that, it, it's just a, a term of incredible emphasis. When we say something like... Uh, I don't know about that. There's only one thing I know. What are we saying? Do we say we only know one thing? No, we're saying there's one thing that's important or one thing I want to emphasize. And so David is not saying I only ever pray about one thing. But he's saying if there's just one thing that is the the driving request I have of God, it is this in verse 4, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gaze on the beauty of the Lord, inquire in his temple. What he is saying is not I want to live in the temple, I want to be a Levite. What he is saying is I want to know God. My one request is to live in the presence of God, 
to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, to come to know him more deeply, to inquire of him, to know his will for me. I want to know God. And so when you look at the psalm and the beauty of the psalm as David is going to face life, it's important that we have this perspective about David, that he is saying the most important thing to me is my relationship with God. And when that is true, it branches out and affects everything else. And so what I want you to see as we go through the psalm is the idea of how a relationship and a passion to know the Lord will affect the rest of our lives. So you might ask the question, well, why would we talk about that? Why does that matter? Well, part of the reason for that is that we need to know that a relationship with God is intended to affect our life in positive ways. That God is going to bless us. And in fact, it's almost as if these are incidental blessings. Because I know the Lord, I am a changed man. I become different. And that we certainly see in the life of David. And part of the reason we would talk about this is because my goal is to get each one of us to want to deepen that relationship with God. That as we're here this morning, we have an interest, we have a passion we want to know God more deeply, and I want us to see that there is an incredible blessing that rests on the other side of that knowledge that David is showing us. Sometimes we, we lapse a little bit in our service to the Lord, and we begin to get into the kind of mentality where we say, you know what, I just want to be sure and check the boxes. I want to check the church box, make sure I'm going to church, and I, and I want to check the Christian box. Yes, I'm definitely a Christian, but we sort of, we sort of flag in that. We, maybe we get a little lazy or maybe we just get complacent, whatever it may be. I want us to see that there is a passion in David that then transforms the rest of his life. And I want us to see if we can't cultivate that for ourselves. Let's just read the psalm to begin with. Psalm 27 and verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that, I, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hold not, hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So we're going to explore what a relationship with the Lord means. And the first thing I want us to see is that a relationship with the Lord means I live without fear. You see this back in verse 1. Let's just look in the beginning of the psalm. Verse 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You've got a lot of images there. You've got the idea of light, which dispels the darkness. You've got the idea of salvation. And here what we mean by salvation is physical rescue. So David's in physical trouble and God saves him out of that trouble. You also have in verse 1 the idea of a stronghold or a refuge, a place to run to when things get dire. And remember David's past 
where he has literally had to hide from Saul over and over again. He says, the Lord is the place I hide. The Lord is the one where I can have safety. And so he says, I can live without fear. He says that twice. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I be afraid? Because I know the Lord. Now, I want you to remember, we don't know exactly when this psalm is written, but I want you to remember David has been in some dark places. David has had some difficulty in his life. He's hidden from people seeking to kill him. Can you imagine, I mean, waiting in the darkness of a cave while there is an army outside, trying to be absolutely quiet? David has had people coming to his house to kill him in his bed, and he had to escape through the window. David has been betrayed. He's been threatened. He has seen the spear of Saul coming at him. David has stood toe-to-toe with a giant, and he has survived so many battles. And here he looks back at that, and he says... The Lord has been with me. The Lord is the one I run to. What am I going to be afraid of? He says, in conclusion of all of that, the Lord has been with me. I'm not going to fear any person. Verse 2, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. I love that end part where he says, you know, everybody's gathered around me and they end up following instead of me. And that, of course, is also David's history because all of those people who opposed him end up not only not succeeding, but then falling themselves. You've got Goliath falling, you've got Saul falling, you've got Nabal, you've got all of these people, whoever it is, they end up being the ones who who fall into the trap that they set for him. So verse three, though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Now I hope you can see that without verse one, verses two and three can sound awfully arrogant. Okay, if you were to look at David's life, there would be a temptation. If you were David to say, you know what, I'm just kind of a, just kind of live a charmed life. Like everywhere I go, everybody's against me, but it always works out for me. I'm just going to keep doing my thing because, man, I just, got, I just got some special things about me. David does not say that, though. What he does is attribute all of that as a blessing from the Lord in verse 1. So it's important to read verses 2 and 3 in light of verse 1. So he is not confident because he's a great warrior. He is not confident because he always succeeds. He is not confident because of anything in him. He is confident because he says, I know the Lord. Now, certainly that confidence has grown because of what he's seen the Lord do for him. And I think you and I can relate to that. When we look back at our lives and we see the blessings of the Lord, we can say, that was a blessing from God. I'm thankful to God. I want to run to God again in times of distress or need. But The confidence is about the relationship he has with the Lord. So, like David, God expects you and me to live without fear because we know him. And that the logic of that is the same. The logic of that is if the Lord is with me, I know the Lord can handle whatever obstacles or opponents that come into my life. I know there's nothing that's bigger than God. So, God is the one who can help me. I don't have to be afraid. Paul tells Timothy, God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7. A lot of passages in the New Testament that tell us, don't be afraid, knowing that God is greater than what we fear. But I want to flesh that out just a little bit. Talking about living without fear. God doesn't want fear to control our behavior. That is, he doesn't want us to be afraid of people what they say to us or what they do to us or how they exclude us or make fun of us or how they can hurt and kill us. He doesn't want us to be afraid of the future. 
you know, things that we don't know what's going to happen. And we have anxiety and fear because there might be bad things that might happen. And God doesn't want us to live in that fear like David. He wants us to be able to say, whatever comes my way with the Lord by my side, I can handle it. That's what David says. He doesn't want fear to motivate us. He doesn't want us to be afraid of being broke or lonely or disappointed. You know, all those things that kind of float around in our heads as worst case scenarios. He says, don't be afraid. When we have a relationship with the Lord, that empowers us to live without fear. But living without fear is impossible without a relationship with God. Because without God, we're just on our own. And we have to be afraid because I know there's stuff I can't handle. But when I have the Lord with me, I know he can help me through whatever. All right, let's go back to Psalm 27. Uh, The second thing I want you to see is relationship with the Lord means I seek him in times of trouble. Look at verse 4. One thing I've asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Now, I want you to notice the connection. We've already spoken about verse 4, that desire he has to know the Lord, to inquire in his temple, to live before the Lord. But I want you to see how that translates to him responding to trouble. He says in verse 5, I know then he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. And he talks about the shelter in verse 5, the cover of his tent, and lifting me high upon a rock. All of these are just pictures of security and safety, God taking me in. Sometimes it might even be the idea of covering in the tent like a hospitality thing. Okay, bringing me into your tent so that you take care of me and you're protecting me. Then when David says God's going to take care of me, he says I'm going to come back and praise God for what he's done for me. That's in verse 6, where he says, I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. That, of course, is a familiar phrase to us, right? Sing and make melody to the Lord is Ephesians 5.19, borrowing from this image of David uh, in New Testament Christian singing worship. Verse 7, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, O Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. So he pleads for God's help in time of distress. And one of the things I especially love about this text is verse 8. He says, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. So he said, you you told me to do this, and that's exactly what I'm doing. You said you'd be there for me, and now I'm asking. I need you. So he is saying, God, fulfill your word to me. You promised me, and I'm doing my part to seek you, so don't turn your face away from me. So notice how God's will now transforms David's reaction. He knows God wants me to do this, so I'm going to do it. In times of trouble, I reach out to God. He also looks back to past deliverance. In verse 9, he says, You who have been my help in the past, cast me not off, forsake me not. Okay, so... I know what you can do and what you have done. Now I'm asking, you for, I'm asking for you to do it for me again. Here's what I want to say about this. Seeking in times of trouble and a relationship with the Lord makes a different kind of tone when things are hard. When we have a relationship with someone, it changes the way we talk in times of difficulty. Let me give you an example from the Bible. You remember Pharaoh 
when Moses comes to Pharaoh and says, Jehovah says, let my people go. And he says, who is the Lord? Who is Jehovah that I should obey him? I do not know the Lord and I will not let his people go. Do you remember why that changes? Because he needs Jehovah to take the plagues away. And so he says, hey, Moses, can you pray to Jehovah for me? And Moses does. And that happens over and over again. Okay. So do you see what happens in a time of trouble? Pharaoh reaches out. But in times when the trouble is gone, what happens to Pharaoh? He no longer wants to obey Jehovah. He doesn't even want to acknowledge Jehovah. Okay. That's not the way you respond in times of trouble when you have a relationship. See, that's Pharaoh's lack of relationship exposed. God is not just a friend I call on when I need something. It is more like the friend that I talk to every day. Do you have friends like this you talk to regularly? And so when you talk to them about the little stuff and the big stuff, then sometimes you're going to be in trouble. And you're going to tell them about that too. But it's not as if you say, you know, I, haven't, I know we haven't talked in several months or a year or two, but I'm having trouble now. That's not a relationship with the Lord. That's what I'm saying. There's something deeper about that that says, I want to be with the Lord all the time. I want to know his will all the time. So when I'm in trouble, I'm going to tell him about that. Why wouldn't I? That's what a relationship with the Lord is going to mean. Now, it's important for us because sometimes we forget this. In times of trouble, I'll just speak for me. Sometimes I forget this in times of trouble. I'm not always sure why that is. Maybe sometimes it has to do with the old, uh, I got myself into this mess, so I'm going to have to get myself out of this mess, you know, when it's our own fault. Maybe it's that we're not sure we can depend on God. You know, God, sometimes he answers prayer. Sometimes he answers prayer, no. So I don't know if I should, you know, put all my eggs in that basket. Or sometimes maybe we just think it's a simple problem, you know, hey, if you've got a medical problem, you go to the doctor and they take care of you. You don't really need to talk to God at all. Or maybe we just think that the situation is so desperate that praying wouldn't do any good anyway. But whatever our exact motivation, a lot of that adds up to us just not turning to God. And David says, that's, that's not even an option. You said, seek my face. I'm going to seek your face. If his one request is to know and to seek after and to live before the Lord it will affect how he experiences adversity. I want to remind you of this passage. In uh, 2 Chronicles 16, verse 12, it says, In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet. His disease became severe. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but sought help from physicians. That's an indictment of Asa. He did not seek the Lord. Now, I don't believe that the inspired writer here is saying it's wrong to talk to a doctor when you have an illness. I think he's saying he didn't seek the Lord and that there is a clear difference between seeking the Lord and then going to the doctor and just going to the doctor. You know, one of them involves God and one does not. So David says, you told me seek your face and I'm seeking your face because I need you. All right, third, a relationship with the Lord means I always belong. I want you to notice this in verse 9 and 10. In verse 9, Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. So don't cast me off. Don't forsake me because I have been forsaken by my father and mother. We don't know the details of this, 
In fact, we know very little about how David's family responded after he got into trouble. We know that at one point when he's on the run from Saul, he has to send his family to Moab, his mother and father to Moab. They must have been under fire from Saul. I just picture Saul as on the rampage. But we don't know what is meant by this. I wonder if it's not David sort of waxing poetic and saying, I feel abandoned by everyone. Or if he's being literal, like my father and mother want nothing to do with me. That could be. But whatever it is, he is saying, verse 10, my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. See, even the closest relationships can have these breakdowns and disappointments. And we take such a sense of identity from how we relate to our family, particularly the parent-child relationship. But sometimes that relationship is not what we wish it would be, both on the parent side and the child side. And so there is a, there's a heartbreak associated with that. We know, and, and whether that's something we experience or just observe, we know how badly broken that can be and how tragic it is when that happens. But David says, that's not the end for me. I don't just sit around and bemoan the fact that my relationship with my parents is not what I wish it was. He says, the Lord is my refuge. The Lord will take me in. I am accepted here. I always belong here. And so I just, I just want to draw that out for just a second and remind all of us that, that we all have relationships, whether they're family relationships or relationships with others, friends, brothers, that we wish were different. But it's important to know that if the one thing we're seeking after, our one request is to truly know the Lord, that that doesn't have to define our lives. And those breakdowns and those disappointments don't have to be the thing that make us who we are because we always belong with the Lord. In fact, I believe David is sort of foreshadowing here the acceptance that we have when God is our Father and Jesus our brother in the New Testament picture, that we always belong, we all have a place, we are all equal before God. And so that, that image of belonging where Jesus is to say about his parents, you know, this is not my family but the people who do the will of God are my father and mother and sisters and brothers. I also want to remind you, we, we read this in our uh, devotional reading this week, Ephesians 3 and verse 12, uh, in whom, talking about Jesus, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him, that we belong when we come before God, that we're not somehow decried as unworthy, even though we are unworthy, but thanks to Jesus in him, we can be bold and have access with confidence because we belong with our Father. All right, uh, so let's look in verse 11, Psalm 27, verse 11. He says, Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. So a relationship with the Lord here means I seek to learn. Verse 11 says, Teach me your way. You know, it doesn't really feel like in the, the scene that we're describing here, it doesn't really feel like time for learning, does it? It seems like it's a time for God to act. David's in distress, there's enemies, there's rumors of war, people are conspiring against him. But the point here is that if our one request is to seek the Lord and to know his will and to inquire of the Lord and to gaze on his beauty, if that's our one request, then there has to be a time where we listen and learn where we are taught. There has to be a time where we humble ourselves before God. So what I see here is that God is not just there for us to feel better. 
You know, we get into trouble, God takes us out of trouble. We start to hurt, God makes us feel better. God is also there to show us a better way, a better way to live, a better way to view the world, a better way to treat other people, and that we, as followers of God, as people with a relationship with the Lord, we have to be willing to be quiet and listen. There has to be a time where we say, teach me your way, O Lord. I need to know better than what I'm doing. Sometimes it appears to me that we approach the world as if we're just going to do things our way. And if we get into trouble, God's our lifeline. Hey, God, help me out. You said you would. This is a different approach. This is the approach that says, I don't know what I'm doing. I need your help. Teach me your way. He also says in verse 11, lead me on a level path because of my enemies. You show me the way that's appropriate, the way that's best. I think the level path here is the the way that is your way, the easy way, not in terms of difficulty of life, but in terms of a blessing that comes from doing what is best in life. And David's treatment of his enemies, have you noticed this? Is directly influenced by his view of God. You remember David two times has an opportunity when Saul is pursuing him to get his revenge. The one time is when Saul comes into the cave and the whole army of David is in the cave. Saul doesn't know it and he cuts off the corner of his robe. And even for that, even cutting off the corner of his robe, it says David's heart struck him because he did it. He had a conscience attack. And then there's the other time where he goes and gets Saul's jug and spear While he's sleeping, he had an opportunity to kill Saul. All his men encouraged him to do it. This is what anybody from a worldly perspective would do. Look, they even said, the Lord has given him into your hands. This is God's will. And David says, no, this is the Lord's anointed. And the Lord will take care of him when the Lord is ready. It's not my job. Teach me your way. Show me the way that is best, even if it's not the way that's natural. So a relationship with God for us is going to mean that we have to have an approach that says, I want to live a life that reflects God's values, not just mine. It's not enough for me to just say, I'm going to go to church and then go live how I want. It's not enough for me to say, you know, I pray when I get into trouble and then I'll forget God. Someone else is in charge of my life when I have a relationship with the Lord. Jesus said it this way. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. See, what happens when we read that verse is we say, ooh, rest, that sounds great. Gentle and lowly, I'm all about that. Take my yoke and learn. That's what Jesus says. There's a whole new way of living that we need to explore, and there has to be a time where we say, I seek to learn. I don't know what I need to know. And that's a part of knowing God. And finally, a relationship with the Lord means I wait for him. Verse 13. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. He says, I believe I'll see the Lord's goodness while I'm still alive. In other words, I'm not going to die. God's going to save me. And then he says, of course, verse 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take courage. I believe that if you were to interview David and stick a mic in his face, David, what do you mean by wait for the Lord? I think there's one thing that comes to his mind. He was given at a very young age, a promise and an anointing that he would be king. And he waited and waited and waited. He killed the giant. Maybe he thought it's time. It wasn't time. 
He's on the run from Saul, still not time. He's going and, and uh, having to go to the Philistines. He's going around trying to make these raids, doing everything he can, but it's still not time. He waits and waits for years for the Lord to finally do what God promised he would do. Wait for the Lord, he says. Eventually, David is rewarded because he waits for the Lord, and he encourages us to wait like that. Please don't confuse waiting with inaction. That's not the idea. We just do nothing. God does everything. It's not the idea for David. David still tries to do the right thing, still tries to grow. Sometimes he does things that are a little underhanded, like that whole deal where he attacks a, a city and then lies about it. Okay? But, but David's not doing nothing as he waits for him. But we need to understand that knowing God means knowing that God views time differently than we do and that that means we're going to have to wait. God is not late. God is right when he tells us he's going to be there. And we have to be prepared to be patient for him. I want you to go with me to Philippians 3 before we're done. I just want you to see a text that I think is a translation for Christians of Psalm 27. Philippians 3. David has just this one request. He wants to seek the Lord. He wants to dwell on his house, gaze on his beauty, inquire of his temple. And that sets everything else in order. Living without fear, seeking him in times of trouble, always belonging, seeking to learn, and waiting for him. I want you to read with me Philippians 3 and verse 7. It says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. One thing I do, just one request, one thing I want, one passion of my life. Paul did a lot of things, but he says there's only one thing I'm really doing, one thing that's my passion. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. I want to attain the resurrection from the dead and... If that means suffering, he says, I'm willing to share in his sufferings. And if that means I have to change my priorities, he says, I count those old things as rubbish that I may gain Christ. That's what we're talking about. A relationship with the Lord, a burning passion to know the Lord sets everything else in order. So just one request for David, just one requ request for Paul, that I may know the Lord. When I look back on my life, I'll never regret that. I'll never decide this was not what I should have been doing. This is something that will bless my life now and forever. So just one request to know the Lord. I appreciate your attention. We'll be dismissed for our classes.